drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. You're here news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I am your host, Fred. That great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. Today, we are continuing our series of shades from the other side. Uh, last week, we featured a not-so-nice spirit. Today, uh, we've got a ghost of a tremendously more mischievous sort. The story is resident member by Paul Marlowe, and it's actually kind of an interesting story of its production. It is probably one of the more international tales we've featured on the show. Now, we have done um, you know, Irish Radio by Crazy Dog and UK-based audio, audio with uh, Wireless Theatre Company. This one spans a couple different continents. We've had Paul Marlowe, a Canadian. He's the guy who wrote the story and published it, uh, initially published in Something Wicked magazine. It's a science fiction and fantasy zine based in South Africa. And it was produced with a cast of actors based in South Africa and the United States. And, of course, now you're hearing it uh, from Portland, Maine, and then via this podcast, wherever you are. So it's kind of a fun story there. And um, a lot of things I learned about South Africa and its role in radio drama and kind of the vestiges of uh, English colonialism by talking to the producer of this show, Joe Vaz, South African actor turned editor turned producer. Uh, We talked to him just after we heard the feature show, but let's uh, let's get right into it. It's called The Resident Member again. Um, again, it, it is a bit colonial. Uh, reminds me of the story Sunbird by Neil Gaiman. If you haven't heard his collection, Fragile Things, I recommend you do. Um, Neil Gaiman does a delightful job reading his own short stories, um, and, and that one is about an Epicurean club and their hunt for a rare fowl. <laughs> um, anyways, there's a, there's a bit of a hint towards that. Another, you know, uh, a bygone era of colonialism in this one. The Resident Member by Paul Marlowe. Enjoy. Welcome to Something Wicked Radio, featuring specially adapted radio drama from within the pages of Something Wicked Science Fiction and Horror magazine. Tonight's episode is The Resident Member by Paul Marlowe, which was adapted for radio by Digby Young. It had been a quiet evening at the Etheric Explorers Club. Only five members were in town at the time. McCaver had offended the chef by declining dinner and retiring to his quarters above the dining room. So an odd assortment of four fellows were thrown together at a single table. Hmm. Quite exceptional, this bouillabaisse. The Etheric Explorers Club is fortunate to enjoy the services of Monsieur Benoit. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a damn fine soup, eh, Litchfield? <laughs> a bit like Mulligatawny, uh, only a fishier. Um, suppose, Cuthbertson. Flighty chap, though, Benoit. Quite put out that there are only four of us at dinner. I say, has anyone else ever tried swellfish? What? Swellfish. It's a fish which swells up when it's alarmed, like a bladder. What the devil do you mean, Milford? My bladder doesn't swell up when it's alarmed. They call it fugu in Japan, of course. Should the fish be prepared in the wrong manner, the poison of the internal organs can mix with the flesh. Any diner unfortunate enough to consume such an ill-prepared dish suffers total and irreversible paralysis while remaining completely and horribly conscious in a nightmare-like living death. 
Finally, asphyxiation overcomes him and he mercifully succumbs to oblivion. What a damn fool thing to do if you ask me, eating poison bladder fish. Nonsense! What do you want to do a thing like that for? Always interesting to try new things, I suppose, Cuthbertson. Madness! Hmm, it's a dash of good rosé, this. Had elephant once myself. It's a bit tough. Trunk's the best bit, like feel. What about you, Litchfield? Ever eaten any odd stuff? You know, I think the strangest thing I ever ingested was something I had once in Glasgow. A fellow there sold me a deep-fried pickle. Never had anything like it. Quite extraordinary. Once had a fruit in the Indies that smelled like an old boot. Tasted of sherry custard. Ye gods! Your palate belongs in Bedlam, Milford. What about you, Selkirk? Tell me your greatest ever tiffin wasn't some Chinese stinkberry. Um, it wasn't Chinese. Give Selkirk a chance. Yes, I'd be fascinated to know, Selkirk. Do you remember Peterson? Peterson? Yes, uh, entomologist or something, wasn't he? Went out on your South American trek up the Amazon. Peterson died out there, if I remember correctly. Well, you don't mean to suggest. Surely not. It's true. Disgusting, I know. I wouldn't want to make a habit of it, of course. Dear God! Yes, yes, indeed. Makes you think, though, doesn't it? Poor fellow. The flesh had a nutty flavour, as I recall. Not bad at all, though, really. Cooked up quite nicely. Shame he never had the chance to add the grubs to his collection, but as a snack, they weren't half bad. Ah, behold Willits bearing a main course. Cutlets, I believe. Macabre must be tiring of our banter. I fear he died of our banter when he went upstairs without his dinner. Fool's missing some good nosh. What's he do with his time up there, anyway? Well... What's he up to, Milford? You look as if you're not saying something, if you get my drift. He's um, a bit embarrassed just at present, I've heard. Embarrassed? About what? Hasn't got some filthy disease, has he? And you a fella in Rangoon got a filthy disease. Auchenlech was the name. Oh, the fella, not the disease. Impecunious, Milford means. Thank you, Willits. Me? What? My fork's misbehaving, rather. It's, well, it's vibrating like a tuning fork. Oh, my ah, good golly gosh. Careful there. I say, no need to toss the cutlery about, Cuthbertson. What in blazes? That's odd. Your fork has stuck itself into the ceiling, Cuthbertson. I say. Magnetism, do you think? Sterling silver? Hmm, I think not. Non-terrace. Oh. Oh. Don't move, Milford. Your knife is an inch from your throat. I say. Now it's just... Vibrating. No! Oh my good golly gosh! I believe, gentlemen, that I have eaten sufficient for one evening. Bloody macabre. Suppose he's up there summoning demons. More like the ghost of Hans Christian Ersted. It's not magnetism. Well, whatever it is, I do wish the gaslight wouldn't flicker so. I'm having a devil of a time getting the plaster out of my claret. Don't you think it's a bit of a stretch to picture macabre mixed up in all that Faust and devil's business? I've always had him down as more of an astrology and patent medicines man. Anyhow, surely there's some club rule against doing anything, you know, of an occult or apocalyptic nature while staying in club lodgings. Hmm. You're right, Milford. You're looking a little out of sorts. I, I think I'll, um, I'll be getting on home. No, no. What would Dr. Maddox and the rest of our society's dauntless but absent vanguard say if we should fly at the first inklings of a diabolical presence? Indeed, Litchfield. We are etheric explorers after all. First thing, proceed upstairs and quiz McAver. Wait up, old boy. 
Ah, Willets. We were wondering where... Begging your pardon, sir, but I'm not staying a minute longer. Bad enough I have to put up with Monsieur Benoit's tantrums. Not stopping to hear him when he sees the kitchen tomorrow. Serving dishes all stuck to the ceiling. An etheric phenomenon, Willets. Not your fault. Odd is what I calls it. And I've had enough of odd in my time here. Look at you. You even look like ghosts. Oh, yes, we do, rather. Just plaster dust. I'll serve slop in the almshouse, rather than stop a minute longer with you lot. Milk sop! Oh, well. Lead on, Selkirk. Selkirk, whatever are you doing? Sixpence. I am familiar with the coin of the realm, Selkirk. What's the string for? Right. Done. Off we go. Oh, oh dear. What was that? No need to canter, though. What are you fossicking in your pockets for, Cuthbertson? Are you going to try half a crown and some jute twine? Damn it. I've lost my Dutch cigars. Ah, I knew I had one. Selkirk, old man. Why are we following a sixpence dangling from a string? Do you know what this is? If I am not very much deceived, it is a sixpence. A silver sixpence. The phenomenon clearly has an affinity for silver. Ergo, I'm using silver to detect its presence. There, can you all understand that? What? Steady, Selkirk. No need to be terse. Oh, for God's sake. Did you just happen to have some string? Always carry string, Litchfield. Ah, the upstairs landing now. Which way first? There's always been something, something upsetting about these upstairs rooms. I don't know, a presence. They've always disturbed me. My dear fellow, courage. It's the decor that does it. I feel the same way about green bays, I assure you. This way. But McCaver's room is to the right. We go left. Ah, room number six. I wonder if the presence is in here. Well, open the door and look. Don't just dangle the dashed sixpence at it. I say, is that wise? Show some respect for scientific method, dear fellow. I beg you. Certainly. Now. For room number five. I deduce, therefore, that we are going to divine each door in turn with your sixpence. Quite. Hmm. Perfectly perpendicular, room five. And perfectly perpendicular at room four. Perfectly, perfectly perpendicular, perpendicular at room, room three. three. <laughs> perfectly perpendicular, perpendicular at room two. two. <laughs> no need to follow, gentlemen. Thank you. I shall test this last door without your enthusiastic assistance. Perfectly perpendicular at room one. Thank you, gentlemen. And here we are, led by a sixpence to a perfectly awful baroque mirror. Oh, I say, I'm still covered in plaster. Oh, oh my word. It's misted over, quite suddenly. I thought I saw something just as it misted over. Stand back. Definitely an etheric phenomenon. Hmm. Cold. Ice cold. And silvered. It's clearing. Oh, no, it isn't. Your dashed presence is drawing a likeness of something, Selko. It's, uh, what is it? It's a persimmon. It is rather like a persimmon, a tipped-over persimmon. You don't suppose that it could be a cardioid? Eh? A figure which mathematicians make using X, Y, cosines, radii, and squiggles of that sort. Introduced in the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society, circa 1741, if I recall rightly, by Giovanni Francesco Salvamini, also known as Johann Castillon. You amaze me, Litchfield. Can you really not see that it's a persimmon? After all that nonsense you lot were sprouting about fried pickles and Chinese stinkberries, obviously the spirit has been stimulated to tell us about eating persimmons. Honestly, Litchfield, 
I expected more from you. They are not Chinese. Oh, look, more etheric phenomena, etheric writing. G. O. B. A. Go back. Go back. Go back. Perhaps it would like us to go back to Macabre's room. It's back the way we came, down the other corridor. Don't suppose we should just barge in, do you? Uh, I say, Macaver, old chap. Wake up, Macaver, you great suet pudding! <laughs> no answer. Doors unlocked. Might as well barge in. I say, Macaver seems to have taken a bit of a tumble. Flat on his face. No time to lose, Milford. Help me turn the fellow right side up. Oh, oh dear, not very appetizing. Bulging eyes and purple complexion. <laughs> it looks terminally surprised, I'd say. Any sign of a pulse down there, Selkirk? Dead. Dead as an aurochs. And just as heavy. <laughs> Help to heave him onto the bed, will you? Is that wise? <clears throat> what if he did have a filthy disease? What? Like your friend in Rangoon? He wasn't my friend. I just knew him. Oh, need we? I mean, he's not uncomfortable, is he? Oh, do be stout fellows. Take hold of a haunch each and help heave McCaver's mortal remains onto his bed. Ugh. Poor fellow. Must have had a weak heart. Ought you to send for an undertaker? Oh. Uh. Suppose we'll need to summon our sawbones to sign the death warrant or whatever it's called. Certificate? What's the club policy for this sort of thing? Policy? Do we have a policy on bodies? Bring for Billingsley. He'll know what to do with the body. How may I be of service, gentlemen? It's Macava. He's had a sudden attack. Of death. Oh, Selkirk, do put away your dangling sixpence. Macava is clearly bereft of any presence at all. We were wondering what the club policy is for this sort of thing. I shall tend to the matter, gentlemen. A physician shall be summoned. Poor devil. Well, at least all that's sorted out now. Could use a snifter of something. What you say? Well, certainly no point in keeping a corpse company. Ah, yes, well, there may well be. We have not explained the connection between Macaver's demise and the etheric behaviour of our cutlery. Order Willits to send something up. Willits, you may recall, is serving fine port in the almshouse. We'll have to fend for ourselves. We're bound to be a decanter of something someplace. In the smoking room, the, the sideboard. Oh, yes. Come to think of it, I could do with a little fortification. Uh, yes, a good port would be a comfort. Port? I need at least two charges of good cognac. Cognac? Cognac? Don't like the French much. Nothing wrong with a fine Highland whiskey liqueur. Absolutely, old man. Or even a good Dutch brandy wine, for that matter. Well, at a pinch, perhaps. is precisely that we would be having cheese and biscuits now. Thus, port would be more appropriate. Well, the staff situation being what it is, I fear we shall make do with whatever we can liberate from nooks and crannies. What? Lost your way, Litchfield? A bit long, this hall, don't you think? I'll wager we've been walking along it for almost five minutes. By Jove! I think you're right, Litchfield. Are you quite sure we haven't missed the stairs? I say... What a handsome lady. Lady? 
Where? Oh, my good golly gosh. How did a portrait of a young lady find its way into a gentleman's club? Fine-looking filly. Looks a bit annoyed at something. What are all those, uh, you know, what you call them's on the table? The compasses and models of geometric forms? I say, who is she? Ah, I fancy that would be Maddox's cousin Griggs. I remember him mentioning on occasion that this had been her home. Mathematician, a brilliant one as I recall, expert in higher mathematics. What, the working great numbers you mean? Millions and uh, tens of millions and all that. Well... Pretty uh, smile. I'd have sworn... I mean, there wasn't a smile a moment ago, was there? Is she, you know, um, married? I'm afraid she's dead, Milford. That's what I meant when I said this was her home. Maddox inherited it. Gave it over for the club, you see. But all this spirit business, mightn't she still be, how would one put it, still available? Good God, man! She's dead, for heaven's sakes! And more importantly, you should bear in mind that you're already married. My word. Dashed if that portrait hasn't taken offence. But surely, surely if your second wife is already oh, dead... Oh, really, Milford? Yes. Preposterous poppycock. Yes, I suggest you discuss the matter with the Archbishop, Milford, before you do anything precipitate. If you have quite finished your contemplation of art and necrogamy, you seem to have already forgotten. Macavah's etheric form is yet abroad. There must be an immediate seance to establish contact. And send him packing. Don't want my dinners interrupted every night by the silverware dancing a pas de doux. Aha! Now, better even than a seance would be Maddox's machine. The pneumotypograph, I believe he called it. Bloody sort of name. It's kept in the library. If we can find the stairs... Right behind you, Litchfield. I told you you'd miss them. Oh. How odd. Very. Swear the dash of things weren't there when we stopped. Oh, do either lead on or stand aside and allow me. Do get off me, oh. Gaspardson, you lot. Oh, not my fault, old man. That last flight just uh, disappeared. Dashed odd. Ah, always wondered why a bust of Pythagoras adorned the Newell post. But of course, the divine Miss Griggs being a mathematician, Ooh. that would explain. No time for wittering, Milford. To the library, post haste. I shall reconnoiter for some liquid fortification. Ah, here it is. Bother. Selkirk, be so kind as to restrain the door while I lift the pneumotypograph down. Lift it down? That's an oxymoron. Why, thank you, Selkirk. Yes, yes, of course. Ugh. I shall set it up on the main reading table. I say, wake up, Milford. Clear those newspapers. Chop, chop. This is a rather weighty contrivance. Hmm. Hmm, an odd two. Copper dome bristling with typewriter keys. Liberated the smoking room decanter. Oh, is that the Numa, Numa, what's it? Looks like one of those pomander things, you know? Oranges stuck full of clothes. Does, rather. Ah, good. Fortunately, it has been fully charged with a good supply of the special curved writing paper. One moves this lever to move the paper in and out in order to view the typewriting. Hmm. Here, let me get the feel of it. You need to wear this blindfold. The spirit guides your fingers to the letters. Of course. Looks quite harmless, doesn't it? Not like that other thing Maddox made. Other? You know, that machine he made. 
the incident they talk about at the 27th meeting. Oh, uh, hmm. Uh, everything seems in order here. Now I'm ready to observe the operation objectively from, from, uh, uh, fr from here. Milford, be a good fellow and act as our medium. What incident? Before your time, Milford, do take the seat. Ah, yes. Well, I suppose... First the blindfold, and... Give me your hands, Milford. Here are the keys. Please be seated, gentlemen. Whiskey, anyone? Yes, about three fingers, I should say. Your fingers are occupied, Milford. Anyone else? No whiskey for me, thank you, Cuthbertson. Nor me. No need for me to hold back that. What? I think a cigar has called for. All right, Litchfield, commence the sale... The proceedings. Allardyce McCaver. Allardyce? Shush. Allardyce McCaver, we beseech you to hear our questions and communicate through our servant, uh, Milford, whom you already know, and through the medium of the pneumotypograph. Come to us and tell us of your passage to the etheric realm and of why your rest is disturbed. Oh, oh I say. Time to withdraw the paper, I think. I tried to tell you. I pointed with the cutlery, led you with the lights, used the mirror, but no. You had to ramble on about Chinese stinkberries, twiddle with sixpences, and all the rest. Now look what has happened. Awfully sorry about you snuffing it, old man. But really, you could have been more, uh, you know, clear. Oh, stop shouting. He's a ghost, you know, not a flea in my ear. Milford's reaching for the keys. Slide the paper back. I'm not McCaver. McCaver was choking on a humbug. I tried to summon help, but a lot of good that did. By the time you managed to get upstairs, he'd had heart failure. What I want to know is how you are going to evict him. I have no intention of sharing my house for eternity with a superannuated spectre in a walrus moustache. Do I have the honour to be addressing Miss Bronwyn Havelock Griggs? Bronwyn? You do. Well, get McCaver on this thing. We're not here to chit-chat with Maddox's relations. Anyhow, McCaver's a member. Can't just throw him out into the street. Must be a rule about it. Better ask the, you know, thing. Custard. Custard? I do not believe my ears. Oh, uh, Custer, Ruster, what's it? Ah. The Custus Rotolorum. I believe that would be me. No one else wanted to be the keeper of the rolls. Is that some sort of ceremonial waiter? If I recall, club rules allow for expulsion in the event of misconduct. I hardly think, however, that choking on a humbug qualifies as misconduct. Not unless he stole the humbug from another member. Of course, McCaffer's membership might have expired. When he did, I mean... Ask McCaffer why he has not moved on. You cannot. Mr. McCaver has not yet coalesced into a coherent, etheric form. I suppose he has no place else to go. Oh my! Oh my! My cigar smoke's behaving dashed on. Don't feel a draft in here. No, but I do feel something else. A presence. My word. Definitely. Skin feels like a freshly dressed goose. Oh, not again. Gaslight's flickering. The last time that happened... What's happening? Nothing. Remain where you are. Nothing? I think not. Miss Bronwyn Griggs has appropriated my dashed cigar smoke to, to, to materialize herself, old boy. Can you not feel her hovering over you? No, not her. Oh, oh dear, oh dear. I think you will find these premises quite unsatisfactory should I be forced to share them with another spirit. Threats? 
If it's an exorcism you want, I'll gladly oblige. Hush, Selkirk. Let me think. McCaver was a dull sort of cove. Probably has no one to haunt. I have it. I should like to propose that we confirm McCaver's membership as a lifetime resident member. Preposterous. Don't wish to chase McCutlery all over the dining room for the rest of my days, you know. Exercise the bounder, I say. Etheric or not is clearly becoming a dashed oh. nuisance. Oh dear. Oh dear me. Enough, gentlemen. The diabolical machine has run away with me. Enough, I say. Silence. I say, do indulge me for a moment, madam. Thank you. It would be ill-mannered in the extreme to simply... <sighs> to simply evict a member who so recently suffered the loss of both his livelihood and his life. As a member, McCaver is subject to club authority. Should he, through any misbehavior, transgress the standards of the club, he will be subject to a termination of membership, which, I hardly need mention, would require immediate expulsion from the club premises. Well, perhaps. I suppose that would be acceptable. Compromise is an order. Let us vote on it, then, and be done with it. Well, if we could have a quorum. What's a quorum? Oh, God, I'm going home. Good night. As Custus Rotolorum, I declare there to be no quorums in the Etheric Explorers Club. Good. Didn't like the sound of them, those quorums. And furthermore, I should like to propose that Miss Bronwyn Griggs be elected a fellow, in perpetuity, of the Etheric Explorers Club. <laughs> the rest of them will have fits when we tell them we elected a woman. What? As a great benefactress of the club, as a scholar and... Uh, as an individual with a unique insight into the etheric realm, Miss Griggs is an admirable candidate for membership. And as a fellow, she will enjoy seniority over McCaver. Agreed. Agreed. Very well. The resolution is passed. Congratulations, Miss Griggs. A fellow. Now, I think we've imposed upon Miss Griggs enough for one day. You may remove the blindfold, Milford. Well, that's that, then. Whiskey decanter's dead, too. Time to be getting home, I suppose. Well, good night, Litchfield. Miss Griggs? I wonder, should Miss Griggs be not otherwise engaged tomorrow if I might inquire as to whether she... Miss Griggs has had a trying ordeal tonight, Milford. I know I can rely upon your considerate, chivalrous nature to allow her that peaceful solitude which is the greatest balm for a troubled soul. Of course. I didn't mean to... Damned right. Let's be off. Well, you chaps weren't blindfolded. Not quite fair, really. Ah, solitude at last, Miss Griggs. I know you're there. What an extraordinary evening. May not be over yet, I'll wager. Wouldn't want anyone barging in now, would we? Hmm, the main gasolier is a little excessive, I think. Just a wall bracket or two will do. Ah, yes, a lot more atmospheric. And by Jove, there is an atmosphere. Perhaps the blindfold will help me to absorb the etheric atmosphere, so to speak. <sighs> Clear the mind. Think of nothing. Very difficult to think of nothing as a matter of... Oh, oh my word. What a delightful touch you have, miss. Oh. I say, getting this dashed blindfold on and off could become a bit of a chore. Thank, Thank you, you, I think. I think. By, By the way, way the, the blindfold, blindfold is not necessary. necessary. Rafe only included it for the sake of objectivity. 
Ah, splendid. In that case, Miss Griggs, uh, perhaps Cuthbertson's abandoned cigar might provide sufficient matter upon which your etheric form might coalesce. Ah, yes, indeed. I... I read your paper on Riemannian surfaces in Acta Mathematica. It seemed to suggest very radical ideas about the dimensions of space and even about time. Not being a mathematician, though, I failed to grasp much of the substance of it. Have you ever applied your theories? Possibly. But it is so difficult to work, being unable to handle a book or write, except crudely and with great effort. Perhaps with practice. If I can be of any service, please call upon me at any hour to turn your page or hold your pen. It is the least I can do, my dear lady, after we have encumbered you with a phantom macaver. To be perfectly honest, Mr. Litchfield, I may not be entirely innocent in that regard. When my summonses were not promptly answered, I'm afraid I appeared in Macabre's mirror, hoping to startle him into expelling the sweet. As you know, shocks can be effective at remedying hiccups, and thus it seemed reasonable that the same might be true for choking. The shock was perhaps too much for Macabre's heart, hence the cardioid. Please, call me Cedric. Bronwyn. Dear Bronwyn, you mustn't blame yourself. McCaver lived well and came to an honourable end. Do you know, Cedric, what I miss even more than my work? What is that? A good rubber of whist. Here is the deck. I hesitate to call in Billingsley and our chef to bring us up to the required four. But if you could settle for Ecarte and promise not to look at my cards... I will be yours until dawn. The Resident Member by Paul Marlowe was adapted for radio and directed by Digby Young. The part of Litchfield was played by Gideon Emery, Cuthbertson by Joe Vaz, Milford by Digby Young, Selkirk by Damon Berry, and Miss Bronwyn Griggs by Krista Schamberger-Young. The play was produced by Joe Vaz, Digby Young, Gideon Emery, and Simon Ratcliffe. It was recorded in Los Angeles, Johannesburg, and in Cape Town. Edit and effects by Digby Young, and final mix by Simon Ratcliffe at Sound and Motion Studios in Cape Town. soundandmotion.co.za the resident member is copyright 2008 by Paul Marlowe. More of Paul's work can be found at paulmarlowe.com. The mechanical rights in this recording are the property of Something Wicked and Inkless Media. Any reproduction is prohibited without permission. Something Wicked Radio is produced by Something Wicked Magazine and Inkless Media Productions. Find us online at somethingwicked.co.za. Subscriptions and back issues of the print version of Something Wicked can be found at shop.somethingwicked.co.za and electronically through fictionwise.com. We hope you enjoyed this installment of Something Wicked Radio. Keep your ears peeled for more episodes available through iTunes or your favourite podcasting website. Till next time, good night. 
And that was The Resident Member, a story of the Etheric Explorers Club written by Paul Marlowe and produced by Something Wicked magazine, somethingwicked.co.za, Z as in zebra antelope, I guess, for South Africa. Um, anyways, let's get right into a conversation we had with Joe Vaz from Skype. Uh, good talk team to him about South Africa radio drama and his experience turning into a, an audio producer. All right. Um, well, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Uh, today, my guest is Joe Vaz, the, the editor and publisher of Something Wicked magazine that actually comes out of South Africa. Um, wonderful country, um, place where you don't always hear a lot of audio drama. So that's one of the things I'm really interested to talk about today. Uh, Joe, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Thank you very much, and thank you for inviting me, Fred. Yeah, well, um, of course, people by now have heard um, The Resident Member, and it is, you know, audio drama. It's a very different, um, you know, there's some things that are familiar about it, some things that are very different about it. But um, I guess just to, to get this into context, um, do you want to talk a little bit about Something Wicked and the, the kind of stories that you uh, publish? Since The Resident Member, I understand, originally appeared in your magazine. That's correct. It appeared in issue seven. Uh, I can't even remember when that came out. I think it was about a year and a half ago. Uh, Something Wicked is a uh, science fiction and horror short story magazine, which I publish out of Cape Town in South Africa. Um, very much based on Cemetery Dance and uh, Interzone and, and, and all those great uh, pulp magazines of, of the years gone by, though obviously those two are still going today. Uh, and it always just struck me that in South Africa we never we never really had anything like that. Any South African writer who wanted to to get their story published would have to submit to the international magazines, and obviously the competition would be a hell of a lot more fierce uh, because the market is bigger. Yeah. Obviously. So uh, yeah, so I, it was a 3 a.m. stroke of inspiration <laughs> where I, <laughs> as, as I can they say come. that now as, as they come. Middle of the night, I just thought, hey, how hard could it be? Uh, of course, I found out the hard way. Three and a half years later, I'm still at it. <laughs> Excellent. And so what, what, uh, how do you go from having a publication like Something Wicked to saying, hey, I, I'm not doing enough already. Let's try to make a, an audio drama out of one of, our, one of our stories. Well, as I mentioned to you earlier, I am an actor. That's, that's what I do. And uh, publishing short stories and, and the magazine was kind of just a, a, a flight of fancy on my on my behalf. When we got, when I read the resident member, there was just something so wonderfully oldie worldy, if you'll excuse the term, about it, and and it just reminded me of the sort of Agatha Christie locker room mysteries that I'd grown up with. Now, an interesting fact about South Africa: we only got television in 1976, hmm. so I grew up with radio plays. And having grown up with radio plays, I'd always, I've always loved the genre. But unfortunately, since becoming a professional actor, as you know, worldwide, radio plays have kind of dissipated. And it's, it's a I mean, very, very niche market nowadays. I think we have one, one hour on one radio station in South Africa that still has radio plays going. But because I'd grown up with it, when I read Resonant Memory, I just thought this lends itself perfectly to the medium. And I thought, well, what the hell? I'm an actor. I've got a bunch of actor friends. We all grew up with radio plays. We love the genre. We love the medium. So let's put it together and see what um, and see what it sounds like. Okay. Okay. Again, again, biting off more than I could yeah. chew. 
Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm guessing as as an actor, you probably have access to at least the people to try and make this come together. Did you find it all challenging, uh, the, the technical end of uh, of making the recording happen? Well, what was interesting? Well, if, as with anything, it's uh, you know in the, in the world, if you you're either donating time or you're donating money, <laughs> and none of us have money. <laughs> none of us had money to put in, so we all donated time. Yeah. Um, getting getting the cast was pretty easy. We started out with uh, uh, a friend of mine, Digby C. Young, who is the uh, who's actually adapted the the story to to the radio play, and uh, he's a, a veteran television director and uh, cameraman actually, and writer. And so he put the he put the script together, and then I just got a, a couple of other friends to do the voices, all professionals in in the industry. And then Digby actually suggested Gideon Emery. Who's a Los Angeles-based actor? Who, um, who's actually, I think his primary profession is voice artist. I mean, he's he's worked on Star Wars, Clone Wars. He's on uh, um, Terminator Salvation, the video game. He plays oh, wow. John Connors in Final Fantasy. Yeah, I mean, he's you know he's the real deal. <laughs> the rest of us are just uh, toying. Hmm. So when he came on board, when he came on board, all of a sudden the the level and the standard of the, the of the radio play just just shot through the roof. So all of a sudden, what was, you know, when we tried to record this originally, it was four four guys around a microphone, and it was, you know, it was okay, and it would do for the internet. When Gideon came on board, he'd recorded his lines in Los Angeles, I might add. He recorded them on a, on a professional radio mic. And so all of a sudden, his, the vocal quality of his character was far superior to our recording. So then we had go back into a professional recording studio and re-record our lines so that we could match with with his quality. And what started out as a, a quick sort of six weeks to two month hobby turned <laughs> into a year and a year and a half project. I mean if you if you talk to Paul, I can only imagine how frustrated he must have been sitting for a year and a half waiting for us to finish the play. <laughs> So that's how it all came about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, you know, there is an interesting story to be said there also about, um, you know, the international quality of where audio drama uh, broadcast is today. So you, you have an actor on board who's in Los Angeles, thanks to technology, you can collaborate with him. Of course, I'm now talking Absolutely. to you on, on Skype over in South Africa, and and it's it seems to me um, you you also have been reaching an international audience. I know you're featured on the Sonic Society. You're going to be in on Minnesota in a couple of weeks, and of course we're we're in Portland, Maine. Which I, I just this is kind of interesting about that. Well, yeah, it's been it's been really interesting how far it's gone. I think I think Paul um, has actually done ninety percent of our marketing for us. I mean, mm. when I checked out his website recently, it's the, the poster is just plastered on on the front page of his website, which yeah. is fantastic. Um, and I'm assuming, obviously, Paul's fans within the United States have been uh, passing the information around, probably just word of mouth or, or just internet hits or whatever. We've been, Something Wicked has been doing podcasts for, for a couple of years now, and we started out with just audio readings of the stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's a lot simpler. You don't have to adapt the thing. You don't need the sound effects and all that. But... Um, so you know, so we've also we've got quite a quite an international following, and we do we do distribute or we used to distribute in um, throughout the United States, uh, the the actual print magazine. So yeah, but it's I must admit that this is this is the further 
the most furthest. Oh wow, that's it. The furthest afield. That's yeah. the word I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that um, that's something Wicked has got, and you know, to make it to Maine is fantastic. Yeah, Homer Stephen King. Come on, man. Oh yeah, no, it's 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 just fun. Um, how how our world is is much smaller because of all this technology, uh, and it sounds like you have you you did realize that this is a pretty major project, but um, are when you hear the final product, are you now kind of interested in, in doing more, um, or or have you scared been scared off by this one? Oh no, not at all. This is this is how we work. Myself, Digby, and Damon. Now, mm -hmm. okay, we're the three um, Selkirk, Cuthbertson, and Milford, right? Mm -hmm. The three actors who play those parts. Mm -hmm. The three of us have been working together on short films for for the last five six years already. Excellent. And so we we love challenges. And inevitably what happens is we succeed at the first challenge, and so then we start to challenge ourselves even more. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, with this production, it's, the, the cast is ridiculous. We've got a, we've got a, a genuine Muppeteer in <laughs> David Berry. Uh, you've got you know, Gideon Emery, Digby Young's 30-year veteran of, of cinematography, directing, and script writing. Mm -hmm. um, Krista Schamberger Young, who plays Bronwyn Griggs, is an Emmy-nominated casting director. Um, and then there's me. Yeah. And... Well, the the challenge and the fun about this project was the fact that uh, Digby, Damon, and Krista are in Joburg. I'm in Cape Town, and Gideon's in Los Angeles, and we recorded a radio play across the world. Yeah. So, no, it hasn't yeah. daunted me in the slightest. In fact, I'm I'm hoping to an adaptation for another one, which sure. we're hoping to do a much quicker scale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I guess um, you know, going back to you know your location, South Africa. Uh, do you have like when, when you talk think about the radio plays there? I mean, are these things that are native to South Africa, South African based recordings and and stories, or uh, you know, you know what, what what is the nature of of the plays that you hear over there? Well, like I said, radio plays have kind of gone off the air mm -hmm. um, since the early eighties. They've only just been revived recently, and uh, I haven't heard many of them, as I said, because there's only one radio station that yeah. plays one hour a week. But they, they're, all, they're all across the board. Um, you know, people forget that South Africa was a British colony. So back in the, in the, in the early 70s and, and early 80s, or rather the late 70s and the early 80s, a lot of our entertainment was still very, very British. And a lot of our radio plays were very, it, you know, if, you, if you've listened to anything that the BBC put out in, in that time frame, in the, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, it, it would be exactly identical to, to what I was growing up listening to. Mm -hmm. um, we, had a, we had local content, content as well, um, certain characters that, that have become famous in South Africa, like Jet Jungle, which is a, a kind of superhero-type character, and there's a series called Squad Cars. But it was, it was mostly mystery stuff or thriller stuff, and in the mornings they had the daily dramas for, you know, for the the people who were at home to listen to, and, and basically the soaps, the morning soaps. But I, I grew up with the mysteries, and I really like the mysteries. I listened to a lot of Agatha Christie, a, a lot of um, Dick Francis for some reason. There was a there was like Dick Francis Theatre, like every Friday night at 9 o'clock or something stupid. I can't remember that. But generally, the, the culture... At least the English-speaking culture in South Africa has has always been very wide and very very varied. Uh, a lot of our entertainment is either, you know, inspired from from the British or from the U.S. So 
we get we get the full gamut of of, uh, of entertainment here, and we create similar types of uh, of product. Yeah. So um, yeah. So obviously, people can go to the Something Wicked's uh, website, somethingwicked.co.za. Um, you've actually got the play up there, and people can listen to the podcast and get more. Um, and obviously, Par Mar- Paul Marlowe has his own website, Par. PaulMarlow.com. Um, any other uh, projects or anything else that you'd like to uh, mention that people should check out? Uh, um, well, the podcasts are, are a good place. Like I said, we're hoping to to do another radio play probably in the next six months. I'm hoping it'll be quicker than yeah. the last one. Um, yeah. We've just released, we've just printed our final print issue of Something Wicked, issue 10. has just literally gone on, on sale two days ago, and that can also be found on the website. Uh, the original Paul Marlow short stories in issue seven we still have back issues of issue seven so if people want to buy that and um you can also download the ebook versions from fictionwise.com how's that excellent that sounds <laughs> great well uh joe, joe thanks so much for your time yeah <laughs> thank um, you fred and thanks thanks for, for airing our little play absolutely next time you got one just drop a line we'd love to hear the next i will do thanks All a lot right. man. thanks so much and that was Joe Vaz of Something Wicked Magazine. Again, that is somethingwicked.co.za. Anyways, next week, more tales of ghosts and goblins. And of course, if you can't wait that long, do check out the blog and podcast, radiodramarevival.com. That wraps it up for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalge. Copyright of individual shows remains that are original producers. But do please share this show as far and widely as you like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Greater Portland, Maine's Community Radio. It is podcast at radiodramarevival.com as a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week.